Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode five. And in this podcast, we spoke about how he balances his life between all of the responsibilities he has as a community leader, as an imam, whilst, whilst also taking care of his six children. Subhanallah, may Allah bless them. Uh, he came in live from Turkey. So we spoke about how he moved to Turkey, moved his family to Turkey. What are some of the challenges he faced uh, doing that? Why he did that? Uh, what, what are the benefits that he saw? And uh, we also discussed a whole host of tips and tricks that fathers can implement into their busy lifestyles um, that he has over these past few years. So please watch the rest of the episode. Don't forget to leave a comment down below. Hit that subscribe button and share this round to friends and family. Daddy. Daddy. Uh, you're coming in live from Turkey, isn't it? Yes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's been a little while since I've seen you in person, but yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yes, I'm in southeast Turkey, so it's quite far from Istanbul, which people often know. Um, it's yeah. about 12 hour, 12 hour drive from Istanbul. We're in southeast, which is in the Asham province, so not far from Syria. Mashallah, mashallah. And uh, you, obviously, you are here in London, in the UK, um, uh, and well, Bristol, um, but, uh, you know, in and out of Bristol and London and whatnot. And uh, we would obviously been working together. And then the next thing I find out is that you've taken you and your family all the way to Turkey. And that's not something which is surprising, actually, because you've been taking your family to different countries for a while. So let's just go straight into it, man. What what was the decision? You know, was it was it to do with some sort of religious hijrah mindset? Was it to do with the, you know, the lockdown is here. Why don't I just go somewhere where there's not much of a lockdown? Uh, was it that you just really like Turkish food and Turkish culture? Uh, what is it that made you feel like as a father, I should get up from the UK, take my kids to Turkey? Yeah, um, well, not one reason, uh, a few reasons, I guess. Um, we have a bit of a history so since 2007, um, when I had my first two children, they were very young. We moved to the Emirates uh, for a year. Then we spent 10 years in Saudi, six of it in Medina, the best days of our lives. Awesome. And in two, and 2018, you know, Qadr Allah, Allah's decree, we had no option. No one really wants to leave Medina unless you're kind of a bit mad. After six years of, you know, spending time with scholars, friends, the Prophet's Masjid, uh, Islamic University, working there, going there daily, you know, it was like the dream come true. Anyway, um, things happen, you know, Allah's plan. Alhamdulillah, we didn't have much of a choice. We came back in 2018, a couple of days before Ramadan. Okay. Um, right, so then we thought, okay, we'll have to resettle again. It's been 10 whole years, we've been out the UK, now the kids have grown up, four more kids extra, I only went so with two. Came back with six. Um, the there, two little some, ones. There's some fertilizer there in Medina, some varaka there. <laughs> um, yeah, the two little ones actually were born. Fatima and Muhammad, they're five and six years old now. They're both born in Medina, born and bred in Medina. And so we came back in 2018. Alhamdulillah, I managed to uh, get some work at the Islamic school in Bristol as head of Islamic studies. And I worked there as a principal as well, interim principal for a while. But really, we, the kids and us, we were accustomed to a lot of the Islamic 
culture, Arabic language, Quran. Quran is a big part of our lives for the children and us. And we tried to hack out for a couple of years, you know, and uh, then in the summer of 2020, it was getting difficult with the kids back into school. Um, lots of things, lockdown, when we thought, well, it might be time to move again. And we were in rented accommodation, so it was relatively easy to, wasn't easy, but easier to yeah. pack up. Um, but with all these um, commitments and children, it's a big step. Um, and it's kind of a, a transient move. Again, you know, our heart is always in going back to Medina. Um, and then I have, uh, you know, I've been working with a number of charities as an ambassador. And so an opportunity came to work with the charities um, for a year opportunity to do some project management, um, similar to the work I've been doing uh, online and fundraising. But they've got projects in Southeast Turkey. And so, you know, it's kind of a collaboration of both. So I've got a way to earn some income, do some work on the ground, experience a new Muslim Muslim country. Um, uh, and yeah, I think that that's kind of how it happened. Uh, so before the, before the big lockdown in um, December, maybe November, October, we, we left in September, early September, before the beginning of the new academic year, we made the decision Let's give it a try, you know, for a year. Uh, inshallah, see how it goes. Definitely for us, um, you know, a Muslim land, Muslim country, we're accustomed to it because, you know, most of my children grew up and they're used to it. And we're, we find it a bit more comfortable. Nevertheless, it's not perfect in Saudi, in Turkey. Nowhere is perfect, but alhamdulillah, yeah. many plus points. And England also, some amazing things, but some really dirty and nasty things. The life mm -hmm. is kind of, you know, up and down like this. I really want to kind of get into this a bit more because I feel like this is a huge discussion amongst fathers and even myself. I always think about, do I want to stay in the UK? Do I want to um, permanently move abroad or want to temporarily move abroad? How would I do it with kids? How would I do it um, in terms of finances, in terms of responsibilities? is there there's, there's language barriers there's so many questions right um and and i feel like this is this is a big conversation especially amongst fathers especially at the moment i think there's this kind of resurgence in thinking of uh, moving and i think i think a lot of that is down to the lockdown and covid and seeing that well actually there's many more opportunities out there because there's so much option to be working from your laptop and just working online so why don't I just take my life and, and, and move it elsewhere? You know, so let's, let's just break it down a little bit. And firstly, kind of uh, what what is the, 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 the commitment you need to have within yourself to, 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 to get to that justification that this is the correct thing to do for, for, for me and my family? What is that conviction inside yourself? What, what's that mindset that, that makes you know that, OK, this is something good for me for me to do for my family and then then maybe we can go into other like logistical things sure um a couple of key things is subhanallah now this rolls back to you know when you choose that partner life partner right yeah the because i've got loads of families okay some have already come leaving their husbands back in the uk because they refuse to move okay um some have stayed because of a source of income. One of the down points of Turkey is employment for foreigners is very difficult and the salaries are low because generally the income and levels are low, right? So um, some fathers stay, come and go. 
but a number of them, you know, the fathers refused to come. But the women have realized that for the upbringing of the children, it's better. So, and sometimes the uh, mothers and the children want to come, but they can't, you know, because the father is the head of the household and they have to stay behind. So now what's really important is that life partner. You know, you've got to have a friend or a companion, meaning the wife who is on that same wavelength. Yeah, she mm. and you are on the same plateau because if both of you, one wants to move and the other, it doesn't work. And I've got one brother here already. He's been for three months and he is an IT contractor. And they said, look, you can go wherever you want. He develops software and applications. Um, he's moved here temporarily to do a stakeout. He, he does his nine to five from home, develops his uh, apps. But the, the sister, the wife is very resistant because of her mother and things like that. And he's in an hour push and pull. You know, what does he do? He needs to get them here, um, but the missus is resisting. So it has to be a teamwork. Both couples have to realize, you know, what is the future for our iman, for our children? Like I got a call a few days ago, subhanAllah, uh, from a mom, because I put, uh, you know, I do some youth counseling. She said, oh, my 17-year-old boy is come home from college, and he is now talking about relationships, a relationship that in Islam we would frown upon can you have a word with him? Right. This is heartbreaking. And a month ago, check this out. A month ago, I got another call. Uh, a, a kid who goes to college. He is a boy. And now he wants to go into another direction. And the mom is heartbroken. Okay. It's, she hasn't slept for days. So, you know, it's like, how much more of this going to continue to happen? Because, you know, the environment plays such a massive role in our upbringing yeah like yeah like my son who is now 16 and a half 17 he's been going to islamic kind of quranic school since the age of three i remember a massive massive sacrifice i used to drop him off and i used to cry leave him there he leaving a three-year-old in a country and i used to sometimes just wait outside the class for two three hours waiting for him to finish the class yeah um a massive sacrifice but it's paid off. You know, we can yeah. discuss some of the, what he's achieved, alhamdulillah. So the first thing is both couple have to be on that mindset. You know, what is what is the future yeah. for yeah. ourselves and our children? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I think it's such an important point, you know, before you can even fantasize about this, you need to have that chat with your partner you need to see whether they're on the right wavelength and and to be honest if that this was something that you're serious about it probably should have been a conversation very early on or even before you got married so i definitely get that but then the, the, the next day next stage is okay now you've agreed and you do think that kind of going abroad with your family is a good idea for, for yourselves um but there are certain things that might hold you back. One thing that I always think about is my family. Like, could I leave my mom, my brothers, my sisters, my uncle, my aunties, my grandparents, where my children benefit so much from them, from being around them, from having that connection with them? Um, so what, what, what's kind of the, um, uh, or, or how would you say, it? The, uh, the, the, the give and take in this scenario, right? What, what's, what's the compromise? That's the word. What's the compromise? Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest killers, I'll tell you. Um, because, you know, the children, they love the family network. And, you know, in Medina, subhanAllah, they used to, you know, Medina is amazing. However, they used to, days they would be crying and miserable because they don't have any friends and cousins to play with. And they would crave 
crave for children then I, you know we'd find expat families they'd come over and it would ease the burden but it's never yeah. like family okay so that's a big sacrifice also grandparents for example my parents you know they were uh, they're upset here and there because but they understand you know that the future of these children is better with me in a muslim country than in england and their time is you know and i have other siblings that do take care of my parents um and the biggest one i want to smash on the head is oh my children are going to suffer well this is kind of nonsense i'll tell you now the children are very robust they adapt my children they adapt they're starting to learn turkish now um you know they ad- adapt very quick better than adults yeah mm-hmm. even the teens they have some friends but again they're making friends can you drop uh, some turkish one. bars for us can we drop yeah man um hey wallah okay, all right that's a cheap <laughs> one um what do you call this yeah um nasalsinis uh gule gule uh tamam uh oh yeah nerde shuaib nerde where is shuaib but look my t- my turkish is very poor it's been nearly six months i'm cheating here because there's a lot of arabs here and they speak arabic Okay. Uh, so I'm getting away with it. Okay. Uh, in the south, okay, not many people speak English, so it's a it is a big problem with the Turks communicating with them. Right. Uh, so that's one of the challenges in foreign countries. Okay, same in Saudi. When we lived, there a lot of foreigners where they just keep themselves to themselves. They didn't benefit from the language. Um, but I want to go back to the point about children. Okay. Yeah. Number one, don't worry. They are very malleable. They they are just they and you know. Um, the research shows that a bilingual child is much more smarter than one who is monolingual. Mm. Um, but if you are one of those people, and I'll give you an example, and I keep giving this on podcasts, there were people in Medina, okay, that spent years in Medina where the children are benefited from Arabic, from Islamic studies, from Muslim culture. But you know what? They left. You know why? secular education they were under the impression that their children are suffering they're falling behind with western education you know what we used to do and we're doing the same here homeschool them in the western uh you know math english science get them into the islamic get them into the uh, other sciences okay um and because the priority we have to understand that secular education it doesn't produce a child that actually is a child that's investing in you or you hereafter it's actually a product of the society and one that excels and goes to cambridge and becomes a professor usually generally even if he's a muslim becomes very far away from the religion and abandons their parents and has you know you invest your whole life and they just kick you in the face and that's mm. happened time and time if your child you're not given in the tarbiya the islamic values it doesn't matter how big of a psychologist or a doctor you are you have to pray you're still a muslim Yeah so people who are obsessed and I say this because there's so many even practicing families like I said many of the families they leave now oh we need to leave Medina because oh my child isn't going to get the GCSEs and and is not yeah. versed in yeah and that really is detrimental I'm not saying neglect the western no my son yeah, yeah. my daughter they're studying and often you know you've got online schools these is fantastic yeah um homeschooling if able to I know a lot of people can't but the things that t- they teach in a day in the in the school you can teach at home in an hour or two yeah. you know at the moment some of my children you know the 7 year old 11 year old 9 year old they're taught the same subjects so the 7 year old's kind of pushing stretching itself to the 10 year old 
Yeah, yeah homeschooling yeah. those who know you can push them. So, but the my point here is don't be obsessed with secular education because it will only harm you. And we have seen the harms time and time. Get that mm. balance. Don't be yeah. obsessed with excelling and sending to Cambridge, and then you know what happens. They end up losing their yeah. religion. Um, you know, and and this is sad because you've lost it. You've lost them in the dunya, and you lost in the akhirah. So, what have you achieved? Oh, my son's a, a doctor, and he's and he, you know. I don't want to go into his ex and he doesn't pray and, yeah, and he won't even yeah. attend your funeral. Yeah. Because he's, he's in surgery doing the biggest operation of his life. He doesn't have time to come and visit you in hospital because his career means more to him because he's yeah. now the CEO of X company. You know, so like so, to, 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 to clarify, you're not saying that people shouldn't aspire to have amazing careers or shouldn't aspire to have these great goals. But the key point here is that if you become over obsessed with those things and your tarbiyah, your Islamic development drops because of that reason, then you're in danger zone and you need to be careful and you need to make some sort of changes. Because I would imagine that people watching would think, you know, I turned out okay. You know, I, mm. I, I grew up here. I did all of that and I turned out okay. And um, I know many people who are okay kind of going to Cambridge, Oxford, or, or even lesser universities than that uh, and having good careers and whatnot and they're still practicing. Um, you know, and I know people that are like that. So many of them would say that that's a non-point. But but you're not saying that. What you're, And this is just to clarify, not to put words in your mouth, but to make it clear that, you know, you're not saying that, okay, fine, you guys came out okay, but the point was that you maybe had a solid foundation from your family maybe you had certain communities around you you grew up in certain communities that gave you the other side and balanced things out but there's individual cases here like the phone calls that you're getting where certain families are not doing uh, a good job or the environment that that child is in is affecting them uh, very badly and so this can imbalance the scales a bit i don't am i is that is that, is that what, what i'm getting from you yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look, uh, and I'll be a hypocrite if I say that because Alhamdulillah, I've studied through so many different levels and ranks of the Western education. So how can I uh, deny the kind of the um, benefits of that? OK, it's having that balance. If you're not giving yeah. them the tarbiyah, they will become very secularized in their outlook that, you know, they don't pray. And uh, a Muslim who doesn't pray, you know, th there's a hadith and some of the minority scholars were very strict. They say someone who doesn't pray is not even a Muslim. Yeah, you know they've left the millah. So how can you be a Muslim where either your your daughter, okay, she's amazing, she's a doctor, but she's wearing a skirt and she's got lovely, beautiful hair. She yeah. doesn't pray. She doesn't pray. She doesn't fast. She goes out with the non-Muslim, but but she's still very good to her parents. Well, that's a bit of a problem because the basics of Islam have to be preserved. So mm -hmm. the 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 you know she should cover. He should have the beard. Uh, they should pray. They should know about family etiquette. They should know about, you know, relationships and what kind of relationships are acceptable in Islam and what are not. So it's having that balance, okay? Any extremities is really bad. Also, you've got those children that have been thrown into Darul Ulooms and stuff, okay? And they've gone through, they've kind of missed their childhood from the age of 10 and to 18. They come out and they turn their backs on Quran, Islam. Because yeah. they haven't been, they haven't been given that balance of you know the citizenship, the 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 things that make them a a normal citizen, a normal a child, wholesome wholesome development. 
Yeah, so it's getting that balance. So if you're fixated with one or the other, extremes yeah. are always a problem. If mm. you're really like, if you're sending your child to a grammar school and you're spending 100K a year and you don't care about him, whether he prays, whether they, you yeah. know, whether he eats halal, you just focused on making him a machine, a, a, a success for the dunya and society, you will lose him. And the other yeah. side also, if you're too extreme, then they become dysfunctional. That child yeah. doesn't know how to behave with his cousins when they talk about PUBG, when they talk about Facebook. So what's that? Yeah, yeah. You understand? That's true. Because getting true. that balance, it's very important. But I, what I've noticed is that the Muslims are becoming very materialistic, obsessed with Western education at the expense of basic Islamic tarbiyah and Quran. And that's detrimental. And the fruits mm. are, you see the fruits later, then it's too late. It's too late. So look, coming back to the um, question of the logistics in terms of moving abroad. So we've kind of got to the stage where you've... Uh, made me understand in terms of family okay there, there's gonna be some sacrifice and children can't adapt okay let's say i'm convinced but then my my next issue is finances what what are the financial things that i need to be worrying about before i step over the border and i take that flight yeah uh, finance is a big one subhanallah and many brothers and sisters that i talk to because we've got a number of different you know forums and groups about hijrah uh, many of them have, you know, reasonable good jobs. We're not saying they're high flyers, but yeah. they're based in the UK. Now, it's difficult for many of them to find uh, a local work here. For example, you could find in Turkey uh, teaching jobs. They may not pay that well, but they are available. Other types yeah. of jobs, engineering, business, very difficult, medical, maybe. Um, you know, so you've got to think about having a steady income so you've got to do the math you've got to calculate for example here in turkey mashallah the living expenses are very low cost and reasonable um if you if i give you an example a family of five yeah or yeah. six two, two adults four children can very comfortably live on a thousand pound a month you thinking what is going yeah. on Council taxes, you know, barely six, seven hundred, whatever. Uh, you know, rent is a couple of grand in, forget couple, in London it's probably three grand, yeah. uh, two grand, you know, at best maybe two, two and a half. But here, you know, the living expenses are very affordable. Average okay. accommodation, yeah, ha apartments, 300, 400 a month, up to 500 for villas. Uh, if you want a big, luxurious MTB cribs, you can pay seven, 800 uh, pounds. Still chilling. <laughs> You're still chilling with swimming pool. Uh, food and things are very cheap. Uh, clothing is cheap. Uh, yeah. Utilities is cheap. So living expenses here are very good. So you've got to do the math. Can you have, for example, will you have a thousand pounds coming in? And some people mm. actually, you know what, they've got good opportunities, but they're not willing to take that leap. You know, if someone has a property in the UK, whether it's mortgage or not, we're not going to go into the, yeah, yeah if it's halal. That's between them and Allah. But many people who have property, if they just put that on rent, it would pay for the mortgage and they will have maybe a two grand coming in a month. And that is enough to move to many countries. And that's a stable income, much better than a business or a job, yeah? Because this is bricks and mortar. The guy's going to pay your rent on time you get the rent and you can be chilling here. You can be learning Islamic studies. You can do, and you can now, you know, the way the world is converging, there are so many opportunities to, like you said, to teach online. You yeah. can do um, lots of different working because the future is remote working. Um, yeah. And you don't have to be in London. You can be like that brother who's a programmer. He's here uh, roaming around um, and he's still getting paid in the UK. Uh, and, you know, so, there, you've got to, you know what it is with any of these things, it's how bad do you want it? You know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. 
if you want to, for example, you want to get a master's degree, you just kind of, yeah, I'd like to do it. Or how hungry are you? You're going to raise the funds for it. Are you going to study? Just like this. How badly do you want to move? How bad do you think your future of your children and your own self and your own religion is? And remember yeah. also the moving and things, it's never going to be sweet sailing. Hijrah never was from the Prophet Sallallahu Yeah, when he made that migration, his companions, yeah, it's full of challenges. It's full of tests. It's yeah. not like... I was going to ask you some of your challenges that you've you've had now moving because i think sometimes people fantasize about this idea that if i get away from the uk or the west and i go to a muslim country that's it like my life's gonna be amazing i'm gonna you know everything's gonna be sorted out for me and i'm, I'm gonna live my best life no um again yeah people need to kind of wake up but from this utopian even if you went to medina and Mecca, right you have some amazing things but you've got some headache You've got bureaucracy, you've got um, cultural clashes, you've got racism, you know, well, yeah, Medina, yes, it's the best place on earth, but you can't deny the fact that there are ups and downs. So there is racism, there is uh, problems with bureaucracy in the system, things don't work like clockwork. Okay, so you have to understand that it's not going to be plain sailing, you may, you will be discriminated, um, you know, you may, and for example, here, okay, the Turkish people are amazing, mashallah, generally the bulk of them, however, there is, um, in Turkey, they've done one of the best jobs in terms of taking four to five million. I think most Syrian refugees, no one in the whole world has taken rather than the Turks. Yeah. And they give them, yeah. yeah, they give them basic kind of necessities um, and some allowances, okay? Um, and so you've got, and some of them, you know, they're, per they're not perfect. They come with a lot of baggage. They do wrong things. So there's a bit of a sensitivity between some Turks and Syrians. Um, okay. And we get that. Um, I get that. Uh, me and the family, are, uh, unfortunately, because we look, uh, according to them, we look quite Syrian. And oh, okay. Yeah, because you've got Syrian, very pale and brown, just like us, olive type of skin. Right. And also because I, I speak some Arabic and they say, Suri, right. Suri. And they start becoming, sometimes they do, they, they give you really dirty looks. Not everyone, a very right. small minority, but we feel it, you know. Um, and then once you kind of start dialing and say, no, no, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I'm from UK, I'm from uh, Bangladesh and all these things, then they're happy. But yeah. there is this kind of friction because no one's angelic. You know, there are some Syrians doing mm -hmm. some bad things. Mm -hmm. uh, the bulk of them are very good, law-abiding. they contributing. They're trying to put back. You know, there's a, a friend of mine in a close city from here. He's a Syrian entrepreneur. He, they've given him the number of families. They've given him citizenship. So they've made them Turks. And this guy is builds orphanages, uh, builds businesses. And all he's doing is supporting not just the Syrian, but the local Turks, the poor Turks. Yeah. Yeah. But he's putting back. So you can't just generalize everyone. But you will face in any language barrier also a massive problem. Yeah. Because the Turkish language is a... It's a cocktail, hodgepodge of German, English, Farsi, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Latin, French. You know, they say pardon. You know, they say pardon when you bump it. I say, what's that? That's a French or no, that's Turkish. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole hodgepodge. But, you know, when you can't communicate, it's very frustrating. Mm. Even in Saudi, when you can't communicate in Arabic, they're just going to say things and run off. Yeah, so language is a barrier. Expect that. You have to invest in learning the language. Also, Expect some racism because, you know, you, you're different. Yes, you're a Muslim, but your culture is different. Some people are very sensitive. You know, why are you coming to our country? Some people are not as Muslim friendly. And they say, well, yeah, you're a Muslim, but we're a Turk. You know, right. not everyone. Um, so you could expect that. Um, what else? Yeah, so you are going to expect these challenges. And also, it's in Europe 
but don't expect things to work. Every country has its own system. So like, you know, in the UK, you've got a problem, you make a straight, you call customer service and they'll respond to you. Many cases here, you know, they might even give a two hoots. You can't even speak the language. They've got a different way of dealing with things. The NHS here, which I keep, I'm going to big up the NHS now. NHS, that we say, it's so rubbish and bad and horrible. Well, if you go to other countries in the Middle East, you'll be you'll be like uh, singing the praises day and night of the NHS. Because, <laughs> yeah, because in many countries, you, it's very poor. Uh, foreigners, you don't get medical in Turkey, I think once you get your citizenship, you get free medical care. In Saudi, never. Okay, you have to pay with uh, medical uh, insurance, and even after that, you still get rubbish service. Yeah, customer wow. service in the customer service in the Middle East is something kind of very unknown. It's weird. They don't understand it. They're still catching up. Yeah, you pay and you expect so. They said no. Our country, if we want to give the service to you, we will. If not, we won't. Yeah, it's a very odd mentality it's very anti-islamic but they, again they're learning and they're changing so expect that um there are certain luxuries that we take uh, in england you, you don't gonna get it here so don't expect everything to be like what you're used to expect changes expect difference and it's not all bad it's a different way it's a different people different traditions why should the turks do things like the brits and why should the brits do things like the turks no each and every country and people has its own morality, its own mechanisms, own way of doing things. So you have to make a, a transition and get used to that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So last question on, on, on this particular topic. What are some of the benefits that you've noticed in your time being in Turkey, but even also uh, other countries that, that you've stayed in as well? What is the, the, the main benefit between living in the UK and living abroad in a Muslim country that you've seen, uh, particularly for your children, particularly for your children? Yeah, okay, alhamdulillah. Um, one of the things that's making my children a bit more robust and agile, you know, they're not in situ. A lot of the children that live in the UK haven't traveled abroad, haven't faced some sort of racism or a little bit of bullying. They're very, you know, when something happens to them, they can't handle it. They crack very quickly because they're not as robust because they haven't gone through different trials. Okay, And that's a good thing. Um, if children are used to a bit of hostility, we're not saying that they should be bullied, no. But this kind of difference, they also learn about, uh, you know, different cultures, different expectations, different tolerance. They learn about intolerance. They learn about patience. One of the things I've, you know, the two other things I'll tell you, the biggest things you learn when you go to Saudi Arabia or an Arab country, subhanAllah, no other country can teach you these things. And for the kids and us is tawakkul and sabr. Yeah, you could go to pay your electricity bill. Okay, you got your money ready. You go, you wait at the counter. Uh, everybody's paid. You go to your turn. It says, no, no, we're closed for today. <laughs> yeah, you turn up the next day. You wait and you wait. Oh, uh, the system's down. It, it's not going to be up till tomorrow. So you're out without electricity for two days. Yeah, so you have, sometimes you have no worldly means. You have to call up on Allah. Yeah, because things don't work like in England, like clockwork. Yeah, you only have Allah. You say, Ya Allah. Find me a way. And you have to have sabr. You can't swear at the guy. You can't say, I'm going to write to your head office. He said, yeah, yeah, go on. You know, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You can't, you can't fire him because he's got, he's a civil service. He's a job for life. He's, he's in uh, government companies. You, yeah. Yeah. So these are the things that children learn. Lots of their character building. Of course, Arabic language is something mm. I encourage everybody to learn. Um, and some of us who have kind of Asian backgrounds, we're already kind of bilingual. Um, but language broadens the mind, makes them smart, and they're more dynamic. 
Yeah. Yeah. My children, uh, pretty much all of them, except the two little, they're they're fluent in English and Arabic. Okay, so they're able to. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Now the girls who watch a lot of the uh, learning online, um, they are picking up our, uh, Turkish a lot faster. So that's another third or fourth fourth language for them. You know, had they been yeah. in England, they wouldn't have this blessing. Um, the other thing, of course, in Muslim countries, no matter what people say, Quran is still, you know, part and parcel of the society. You have tahfiz schools, you have teachers who teach Quran in the masajids. You know, Quran is a very integral. Our children, we put a lot of focus. Two of the elder children, mashallah, are hafid, you know, the big son who's 16 and the daughter who's 14. They both memorize Quran. But again, this is kind of motivation and living in an Islamic country. And don't get me wrong, you can get that in England, of yeah. course, but it's but it's different and it's difficult. Um, and the environment helps. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of motivates them if they've got other children also. But you can get some of that in England. But I've personally found that in a, where there's an environment where they're learning, they're exposed yeah. to the language, they're exposed to the culture, they're exposed to the Quran. It's like and a whole salah, package. Yeah, and also Salah and things. See, for example, Turkey has very low rates of COVID, okay, um, which is a blessing. And okay. so the mosques, mosques for months have not been closed and they're not being barred to children or the elderly. Yes, of course, the mask is worn. It's compulsory. The social distance is compulsory. But yeah. today, see, we have, uh, I took my five-year-old son. We walked. The masjid is about 25 minutes because we're kind of in a slightly in a village area. Okay. Um, we took him. He walked with us to the masjid. He prayed with us. Um, and, you know, on the way back, got him some sweets, give him a treat. Uh, and he says, Dad, I'm going to go every week with you. I said, why? Well, I said, well, I need, I need my treats. I said, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah of course. Um, well, you know. Not. He's a, I can tell he's going to be a good negotiator. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, those things are priceless because like in UK now, there's a massive lockdown and clampdown on places of worship. And yeah. Tarawi prayer, you know, last year, uh, I didn't get to pray in the UK. It was closed. Here, yeah. uh, here I'm pretty certain, 100%, inshallah, it will be open. So we will be reading Tarawih in the village mosque every day, inshallah. And that's, you know, this is priceless because, you know, Salah, is like our breathing as a Muslim who's serious, you know. It's yeah. like if you stop salah, it's almost you stop breathing. Mm. You know, salah is, and salah brings so much tranquility. And you know, a lot of people, they say, my life's a mess, this, 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 this. You know why? Because salah is missing. Salah is like the pillar that will sort everything out. SubhanAllah. Um, so I just want to jump onto another topic here, yeah? Because um, something that I'm very, very interested in. and I, I And I think... I mean, I don't know if other people kind of ponder about this, but I do. I always ponder about how those who are in the position of being a da'i, being an Islamic studies teacher, being an imam, being a sheikh, you hold some of those titles. Um, how do you go about raising your children and giving them the right amount of time, giving your family, giving your wife their rights, uh, your children their rights, and, and being there for your family whilst you also have this huge responsibility towards the community. And I always try to ponder and think, where, where do my teachers uh, get, their, get time from? Where do these uh, sheikhs that go on tours and um, you know, speak in so many different countries, where do they get the time? How do they show um, uh, their rights towards their children and ensure that their children is growing up? And at the same time, whilst they're on their tours, they're encouraging people in the crowds, you know, make sure that you're bringing up your children correctly, make sure you're doing this, make sure you're doing that. And I'm wondering, uh, no, I'm not looking down on them. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe, as in, how do they do this? And they keep up things in their, in their own life as well towards their children. So 
maybe you can touch a bit upon that, you know, given maybe touch a bit upon your lifestyle that you've had in terms of being a da'i, going on tour, speaking, etc. And also trying to um, make sure you're raising, mashallah, six children, you know, and, uh, you know, you've got two of them to the point of being half with, you know, how, how do you how do you do that? It's not easy. Um, many of the mashayikh and, the, you know, the scholars, they struggle with this, okay? It's a, also, again, you know what you need? You need a, a good uh, a, a partner, yeah, a, a woman, a sister, uh, the wife who you have, okay, has to be vested in your da'wah, has to understand the akhirah, and she has to make sacrifices, no doubt, yeah, because I'll give you one example. In Medina, subhanAllah, some days, uh, in the morning, okay, because of the sun's hips, I drop him off before Fajr and pray Fajr at the haram, leave him there because he has his hips and then he has his, he was studying in, in the haram. Then I'd go straight to Islamic University as work for eight o'clock, finish work, come home three, four o'clock, have maybe an hour uh, break, spend a little bit of time with the family and then shoot off to a couple of uh, durus that, you know, we used to study with the scholars a couple right. of days a week. Yeah, and then after that, you come home, eat, and go to sleep. And sometimes this cycle continued for a year or two. And it put a massive strain on the family, um, uh, you know, because they have to now pick up, do lots of other things because you're busy seeking knowledge. In the weekends, of course, you take time out. Um, But again, uh, do I regret it? No, because had I not attended, I would have not developed and had this relationship with my teachers from Medina. Um, so the, the wife has to kind of understand, and sometimes what happens is a natural kind of, they get jealous and they start hating the da'wah. Right. Yeah, they, they start, seriously, they start hating your da'wah and you're thinking, how come I'm doing for Allah? Because you're neglecting them. Yeah. So sometimes they do have a valid point because, yes, your da'wah is important, but they, they have a huck over you. The children want to play with you. They want to go to restaurants, not you just. Um, the other thing which I've had a, a lot of blessing and which I do now uh, subhanallah, and I've done it in England. Is if I'm on certain tours and things, I, I drag them with me. Okay. Here, I yeah, and because they're homeschooled, there's that mm. flexibility. Here now, for example, if I if I go to do some project management into another city, three hours drive, um, and it's for three four days, I usually take them with me because uh, you know they might spend half the time in the hotel. Other times I come out, they will do some distribution maybe. They will do their homeschooling at home, but at least they're with me and they, they benefit. They go and see the orphanage. They see the casualties of the Syrian war. Right. Yeah, so th- getting them involved is important. If you're just solo running and enjoying the whole da'wah, that's also not fair because, you know, if you get them involved, then they will appreciate the work you do, the, the, the tiresome time you spend. They will sympathize with you. It's not yeah. always possible. Get them involved. Um, give them their time. And we have to, sometimes you do get blinded. You kind of, uh, d- all the time. But you have to step back and say, okay, well, you have to take the children. They have to, they deserve time in the weekend. So mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult. Um, and sometimes it puts a strain on the marriage, the relationship with the children. And some, you know, sometimes people end up breaking the family. And that's, again, wrong and important. But it's finding that balance. And also making sh- understanding, make sure to the children that, look, this is an investment. This is our ticket to the hereafter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody has to make some sacrifices. The wife has to make sacrifices. The I have to make sacrifices. Uh, the children have to. If you want to gain something much greater, something, you know, the, the mercy, the love of Allah and eternal happiness, then you have to make sacrifice. Sometimes you have to kind of give up things that you normally want to because you're, aiming for a much bigger goal in life yeah? yeah so 
that balance is important. You've got to have an understanding. The children also, I think one of the biggest tips is get them involved, you know, get them to do your editing, mm-hmm. get them so they understand what you're doing and they Cheap appreciate labor, yeah? it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, get them involved. Um, and because if they're very isolated, then they will only thing that they will regret your da'wah and they, it becomes an enemy and, and then it becomes like what Allah says in the Quran that your family they become an enemy because you want to do a podcast and no we want to we want to go out we don't care about your podcast you need to take mm. us to the restaurant and then there's a fight subhanAllah yeah yeah and this happens um, so it's managing everything compromising you, sacrifices uh, and also yeah 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 no zakla khair how, how so, would you um Take off their Imam Da'i Sheikh hat and put on the the dad hat because for me, especially when the working from home started, I found it difficult to remove myself from work and attend to the kids because it usually if you're working from the office is that transition period right you're 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 either driving in or you're going on the train or even if you live close you're walking but even just that short walk is in, in enough transition period in your mind to get into that zone and to leave work where work is and and to focus on family but then working at home is very difficult to to make that switch um and i can imagine that even more so right if your family see you on the stage they see you speaking and they see you as the sheikh you know how do you then come to them at home and act like their dad and and and, and you know act with your wife in you know being a husband rather than being that <laughs> that sheikh right how do you how do you remove that hat um i think the key is okay and it took me a while to get this in my head that you have to understand the that or that you do to other people you get a reward um but when you spend time with your children and you play with them that's also ibadah and reward and when you take your wife to the restaurant and you spend time with that's worship once you start realizing otherwise you know you think oh man i gotta take the kids to the park it's a chore no it's yeah. not it's actually worship so i remember last year subhanallah for two three months okay uh, and the whole of ramadan i used to take the children uh about asr time six o'clock last ramadan okay take them to the park run around uh, play in the you know do some things with them every single day almost for an hour 45 minutes i do all the work and i say okay now it's from time to get fresh air and also realize that this is worship Allah subhanahu will reward you also going shopping taking them shopping buying the groceries very mundane task yeah yeah but you say no this is worship because allah tells you when you buy and feed them allah is rewarding you when you take care of them yeah this is uh, because most of us see these other things as chore because they think oh two hours in the park i could have done another lecture i could have yeah. uh, prepared another facebook posts i could get another instagram yeah so that's one thing um and secondly also that you have to kind of um yeah mess around with the children you know uh play games with them do lots of things with them treat them uh you've got to try to sometimes just switch off the devices and think that's against it or maybe watch something together as a family that mm-hmm. helps you know if it's a documentary or an islamic series everyone get together you know get some snacks have a kind of a party night or a family yeah. night what we do in our house every now and again you know and that means you're not a sheikh or nothing like that you're just dad we're going to mm. eat together we're going to mess around we're going to watch this uh islamic documentary uh we're going to fool around for a bit uh because this also is worship most people mm-hmm. don't understand they think how can that be 
Yes, it is, because if it's done with the intention to please Allah, that Allah commands you to take care of your kids and to be good with them, and, uh, and then it's worship. So it takes time. If you get that in your head, then inshallah, it will help towards switching different hats um, uh, and you get it. Yeah, uh, basically, this will help, inshallah. I forgot to um, ask this earlier, but we have a tally in this podcast, a tradition, a sunnah in this podcast, where we have to find out when did you have your first child uh, and how soon after did the, did, did the others come? Because uh, we're trying to make a tally list and the younger you are and the more children you have, uh, the higher up the, the tally list you are. I think at the moment, um, we've only had a couple of episodes, but I think it's uh, Hamza at the top, Talha second, uh, Tariq third. Uh, so let's see where you come in. I'm probably the oldest on the podcast, though, isn't it? Because all these young maybe. guys, you maybe. maybe. Have, how how old t- are you? If you want to expose that, uh, forty-three. Mashallah, you definitely don't um, look forty-three, bro. Alhamdulillah. Um, and when did you have okay, your first child? Uh, about a year into the marriage, because two thousand and three, we got married in two thousand and four. Um, yeah, and then. Subhanallah, remember this is a risk from Allah You don't control this um, And it, it, you know we never planned And this is from Allah And we got, so two, got two boys So the first one, a year after marriage You got the boy Then about a year how, and how a half How old were you at this stage? Uh, God, that's a good question About 20 uh, 23, 24 20, No, no, about 25, 26 okay. yeah, Which okay. is still early For now, yeah. Nowadays, a lot of these people Not even married, you know, not even thinking about Marriage at 25, which is, which yeah. is Also a big problem Right um, Yeah, and then the daughter was a year And a half later, then a bit of a Gap, three years, another one Then two years, and then uh, Two years, and the last two are going to Be clubbed together, they're about a year apart The two Madanites um, so the whole spectrum is boy, eldest boy, and an eldest, uh, youngest boy, 16 and five, and then the four girls sandwiched in between. And there's a couple of years wow. gap kind of generally. So it's been a That's... kind of a steady, continuous um, battle for my wife. May Allah reward her. I mean, um, I mean, yeah. I mean. Big, That's yeah, amazing. So... We, we, I think I was going to, I was going to maybe include this in a part two with you but i feel like i really want to get into this as well man let's just dive in a little bit in terms of that that uh experience of of raising children in that sort of wide age range right going from was it six to 16 did you say or five to 16 yeah that yeah, you have 16 at the to moment. five yeah 16 to five so there's obviously multiple different age ranges there you're homeschooling at the same time you're working at the same time you know uh how do you manage to uh give each child their right in terms of their age what they're supposed to be interested in that at that stage making sure the elder ones are not kind of being left behind when the newer one newer ones come because this is something me and my wife discuss of course it's a risk from Allah and Allah decides when you have kids but it's a it's a normal conversation that wife and husband have of how many kids do we want or when do we want to try for more kids etc yeah you rely upon Allah but you also try and have these discussions and um uh we always kind of debate between whether it is wise to maybe have more kids because if we do we can't give enough tarbiyah 
to 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 the kids as they get older because these new ones are going to come and I'm going to have to really look after them or you know one of them might get less or more tarbiya and it's just going to be unfair but at the same time we want the blessings of having so many children and uh, we want to gain all those rewards um so it's a big conversation in terms of how do you go about balancing between children of multiple ages um so what what were some of those challenges that 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 you found in that journey yeah and i think you all the dads will agree right the first one is a nightmare <laughs> i'll tell you straight nightmare he's 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 the love of our life but it's so difficult i remember getting him ready to go out to my mom's house or somewhere to travel and it take a couple of hours because you know he, you've got him ready and he's oh there half hour, just about getting the car he's ruined everything yeah he's let it all out and it's ripped Allah. through all his clothes so you got to go back in turn the car off go into the house give him a shower come back and then he's vomited everywhere and you could be up <laughs> two three hours right the first one because you don't know what you're doing you're panicking yeah. second one it gets easier you know as more you have it gets you know the drill you know mm. what he's up to you know if he's messing around you know if he wants attention you know so it gets easier the first one is always difficult and it, it, it freaks people out but the other thing is you've got it's a partnership and i keep saying it's a lot of the dads and that's why i love this podcast mela bless you for it because I mean. a lot of the dads a lot of the dads take backseat role it's a mom's job to raise the children well, that's rubbish okay it should be a both joint partnership yes the dad has that big uh responsibility of bread earner and that put in the bread and the security but still you have a massive role to play and if you put it all onto the woman it's not healthy okay so the dads have to be active now so once you know they grow up each one is a different character different uh you know has their own preferences each one is a different bundle of joy mm. okay and we know that the girls generally mashallah that when you have a girl you Allah subhanahu wa grants you more even extra risk things like that um alhamdulillah when they get older you do have uh you got you have problems and you have good things problems at teens they fight and they bicker and they get into they, they have all these kind of hormonal swings and mood uh, and you know they're also a nightmare the teens right they can be yeah. you've got to you got to learn to deal with them at the same time they're good though for example the 11 year old daughter of mine she's mashallah an angel uh, she puts the oh. other three for supper time she will get their food ready and tell them a bedtime story at 8 o'clock sharp and get rid of them every single day yeah that's her do- job she's 11 so the 9 6 and 5 year olds that's her task she knows wow. it she likes doing it yeah so you start training them up there's a rota for example now for the household chores usually okay who's doing the dishes mopping uh putting the table away who's doing dinner who's doing lunch you're Who's definitely a, a project manager man <laughs> kind of uh, the missus of course is coming out a lot of this but you have to do it otherwise you Come know what happens you start pressing one he you know one one of the guys is not doing anything the other kid who's quiet and doesn't talk back is doing all the chores no yeah. there's a rota it's monday it's your turn you better do it okay yeah, yeah, yeah. and also with the the kind of reward systems you, you know you take them out um the good chore for example yesterday or the day before we took the two little ones out to the coffee shop because now the restaurants have opened again again a big blessing here so we took mm-hmm. them out they had some ice cream and food they liked us so next week it'll be the other two you know so okay. you kind of Yeah you have to give all of them you can if you take all six it takes the kind of nicety because it's not vip yeah. um also the big two who have memorized quran now they are help the others they'll teach tajweed they'll teach the, the others quran yeah so they have to do quran classes for the others now 
That's you understand? Um, so they have to, so teaming up, you know, they have to work together. The two, five and six, the, the Medina ones, they're, they're kind of like twins almost, one boy, one girl, but they're almost kind of clubbing together. They help right. each other. They fight as well. Um, you know, so you've got all this, it, it, it kind of needs, you need to, um, like you said, it is a big project management mm. and so both the mom and dad, have to get involved and i have to tell you it's not easy it's very it's stressful it mm. has its good days even for the best of parents even whether you're an imam a sheikh it doesn't matter children are children they don't care yeah. you're the biggest you're the mufti <laughs> they don't they don't give a damn you're dad and they will play with you they will mess with you they will you know they will push you to the limit so you have your good days you have your bad days and this is a dunya um were you ever afraid at, at, at any point as you were having more children that this is just going to become too overwhelming for us. Or were you always confident as a partnership between you and your wife that we're going to smash it? No, subhanAllah. Look, after probably about three or four, you know, we thought this is, alhamdulillah, this is a blessing. We've got a mixture because the first one is a boy, a couple of girls. We thought this would be enough. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans otherwise, you know, and he um, gives more. And yeah, yeah it, it, it is scary and it's difficult because you don't want to, it stresses you out. You, you say things you don't want to say. You get angry um, and you might neglect some of them. But, you know, the thing you have to try to be is just with them. Like the four little ones, okay, whenever there is a packet of sweet or crisps, I, I'm counting them, man. I'm, uh, you know, three for you, three for you, three for you. <laughs> yeah, really. Because I don't want to be caught that, oh, dad gave him extra. Mm. Yeah, but if they do other, look, if they do other extra things, for example, the Muhammad, he's five, right? He's the muaddin of the house. Yeah, so he gives an adhan. So when it's treat time, he gets extra. He says, dad, dad, where's my muaddin treat? I said, oh, all right, then you get one extra. Yeah, so if they do another girl, she does something else. She, you know, the chickens, she puts them in. She's kind of okay. the farmer girl. Yeah, because we've got a bit of a little backyard. Um, yeah, so she gets a bonus for that, you know. So if they do extra duties above and beyond, and they know that because Muhammad's given the adhan five times a day, four times, let's say, uh, because for Isha sometimes he's asleep, and they know he's done, he's done what, then so he's get extra treat. The girls, yeah. they, they keep quiet. They won't say. But, you know, you've got to be so uh, judicial because the kids will remember this, you know, you're favoring yeah. this one over that one. And this is oppression and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't want to face Allah that that little one stands in front on Yom al Qiyamah, you know, because they don't care about dad in their days. They want their haq because they now are in need of the good deeds. Yeah, so you don't want to oppress any of them. And also the same with the wife and the husband that no one wants to oppress each other. So we should try to always uh, be just and be fair with each other and ask for forgiveness wherever we might be unjust because we often are because you know we're humans we make mistakes of course of course so let's just end on this point we're coming up to an hour tell me um if you can off the top of your head the funniest moment in your dad life is, is there something that pops out into your mind like that that was just that's a memory that's going to stay with me forever um Two memories. One might not be as funny. Uh, one is kind of a, a, pr a proud moment. I can't think okay. of funny moments, really. Okay. A proud no, one fine. is when, yeah, yeah um, is my boy. And I used to have a BMW car. And as soon as he was born, I had paternity leave. But I think the day after or two days later, the missus was against said, No, no. I said, no, I got to take him to the office. I got to show him off to my, it's a company with a lot of non-Muslims, but they were fantastic, you know, and a very good relationship was in Hampshire. And I took him into the office, you know, uh, barely a day or two old. And, you know, it was like 
proud moment for me because they've had children before and they're so oh, look yeah. he's so cute oh he looks like you so blah 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 and so that was one of the proud moment a funny one which is a bit of an annoying one i'll tell you so it's a bit of a, a little horrible one is um uh, i used to change a lot of nappies yeah a lot of dads don't do that they're, they're cowards yeah, yeah. They, they don't do it yeah you should do a survey on your podcast yeah <laughs> how many of the dads they change nappies and how many nappies and how many bottoms they wipe, right? <laughs> so I remember one time, got my boy, uh, Ismail, and it's in the days where they do bright yellow ones and opened them up to check and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll find that funny. I didn't find it funny at that time. Looking back at it, yeah, so it squirted that yellow, dirty stuff. Oh, that is disgusting. My face, yeah. That's dadhood, man. That's a real dad. Yeah, that's a dad. So had a lot. So had a lot. These are the things, man, that don't get talked. Don't get talked about, man. <laughs> yeah. So had a lot. Jazakallah khair, bro, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, had a really good time, man. We covered so much, man. We covered moving abroad. We covered uh, a little bit of homeschooling, project managing your kids, um, Quran. Uh, alhamdulillah, it's been it's been good. I think I've learned a lot. I know I kind of. I I kind of uh, stayed quiet a bit throughout it because uh, I found that there was a lot to take from yourself. Um, and I think there's a lot for me to reflect on in terms of, you know, going back and speaking to my wife after this whole conversation and letting her know that, look, it is possible to have more children and we can do this and this and it is possible to move abroad. And, um, you know, getting getting uh, her opinion on, on things as well. You know, as you said, it should be a, a partnership in all these decisions on how you raise your children, on whether you move abroad, on what you do as a, as a, as a uh, your role as a dad um, also requires having a partnership with, with the mother and your wife. So, yeah, Jazakallah Khair, man. Appreciate it. And inshallah, we'll definitely bring you on for a part two, inshallah, if you, if you will accept the invitation. No, no, it's been a pleasure, alhamdulillah. It's bring, bringing back a lot of memories, good and bad and ugly. <laughs> um, but yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, it's a blessing. Um, and definitely, yeah, if we can, there are lots more other stories I can tell you, inshallah, if in part two, if it's a benefit and if inshallah. it motivates the dads, if it motivates the dads, like I say, come on, dads, come out and be a real dad. Um, <laughs> stop shying away and running away. All right, so, but it's not easy, but alhamdulillah, with Allah's help, Anything is possible. That's it, man. That's it. All right, Zakir Khair. Inshallah, see you next time. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.